Good morning. Hello. Uh, in case you don't know me, my name is Rob. I am currently one of the ministers here. Uh, but in about a week, uh, I will be a member of the Royal Air Force, taking oaths to God and country. Yeah. <laughs> so if anybody doubts that God does miracles, come and talk to me after this. Yeah. One thing you might not know about the Royal Air Force, though, is that they really, really encourage their people to read. And I mean, like, a lot. Like, you go for interviews, and part of the interview is, what have you read recently? I was, I was not quite prepared for that, but there you go. They encourage people to read. And that kind of got me thinking. I, I don't know if you're an avid reader or not, if you're one of those bookworms or not, but I've been thinking this week, everybody loves a good story, right? And... If you think about the world's biggest stories, the biggest stories in, in literature that have kind of made it, those best-selling books, I wonder how many of them are about the theme of revenge. Quite a few is probably the answer. You, you might not have read them, but I bet you've heard of them. Here's just a few examples. The Iliad by Homer, it's all about revenge. Carrie by Stephen King. Hamlet by William Shakespeare. True Grit by Charles Portis. The Princess Bride by William Goldman, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. The list goes on and on. And hey, look, I know some of you are not bookworms here. Some of you are into films, right? You like the big screen. Well, let's think about how many of the biggest movies of our time are all about the protagonist getting his own back on someone who's done something to him. Kill Bill, Gladiator, Munich, Taken, V for Vendetta, The Godfather. These are all movies that made big money at box office. And the reason that they made big money at box office is quite simple. There is a universal desire to witness someone getting their own back. Did you know that scientifically speaking, it actually causes things to happen in our brain and releases feel-good chemicals? Did you know that? They've done brain scans of people who've been either plotting to get their revenge on someone or actually viewing it. And they've seen brain scans of the part of the brain that kind of gives you your, your rewards in life. And when they, when they watch a movie about revenge or something like that, that part becomes really active, releasing all of those chemicals that make you feel like, oh yeah, he's going to get his own back. This is very exciting. The same thing happens in real life. When somebody plots revenge or gets away with revenge, your brain rewards you with this kind of chemical hit that says, well done, you very cunning person. You have managed to pull it off. But here's what psychologists wish the world knew about revenge and about what it does to the human brain. You see, once that initial high fades, the feelings of anger of hurt, of frustration that caused you to want to get revenge in the first place, they don't go away. And in fact, not only do they not go away, they get worse. Because the thing about revenge, and particularly the act of revenge, is that it actually serves as a reminder of the original offense. It actually reminds you of the thing that hurt you so badly that you spent all of that time plotting it. And what that does is instead of healing a wound in your life, it opens it back up again. And that's what psychologists wish the world knew. Revenge actually serves to make things worse. 
it doesn't make it better. And that's why in therapy they try to help people find different alternative solutions, different ways to move past their pain, different ways to let go of the pain and the baggage of the past. And you know, these incredible scientific discoveries that they have made as they've studied this have helped so many people, so many clinicians have been able to help people to be able to process some of those hurts and pains that seem to just follow us around through life. I, you know, I think we should celebrate science when it discovers things like that, things that might feel counterintuitive because sometimes when we watch a movie and we get that kick, when we see the protagonist get his own back, we think to ourselves, this makes me feel good. Well, these kinds of scientific discoveries help us to realize that that just isn't true and they help people to find true freedom. But ultimately, while we're talking about science, I agree with Johann Kepler who portrayed all scientific discovery quite simply as this, thinking the thoughts of God after him. And I think that really applies in this case because thousands of years before psychology even existed as a science, Jesus taught his followers to pursue a radical alternative to revenge. He said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, just to clarify, I don't think Jesus is talking primarily in this situation about self-defense, and we can have a conversation about that afterwards. You are allowed to defend yourself, folks. That's okay. But he is talking about that part within all of us that wants revenge, that wants to hit back, that wants to get our own back, that part within all of us that actually, over time, damages us rather than healing us. You know, Christians believe that Jesus taught and demonstrated through his life, through his suffering, through his death, that God actually prescribes forgiveness as the best medicine for our anger and our hurt, not revenge. And that's why we should forgive, because actually it is the best medicine for our pain. Even if that feels counterintuitive, it does help us let go of that baggage. That doesn't mean it's easy. One of the early leaders in the Christian church was a, a zealous Jewish religious leader who violently persecuted Christians until one day his life was completely transformed by a personal encounter with Jesus. And in that encounter and in the years that followed it, Paul, this man, came to understand the life-changing power of forgiveness to bring about peace between those who were formerly enemies. You know, one of those... Who, uh, groups of people, you could say, who was formerly an enemy of Paul was Rome and all of its citizens because they had come and they had occupied Israel and they had kind of imposed their culture and their laws upon the people of Israel with the Roman Empire coming in. And while they had a measure of freedom in Israel to still practice some of their religion, it was still restricted. And the Jewish people really didn't like their Roman occupiers very much. They called them Gentiles, which basically means anybody who's not Jewish, but they used it as kind of a derogatory term. And they really did not like Gentiles. They were really, really angry with them 
for coming and disrupting their life and taking away the sovereignty of their nation and all those kinds of things that you can imagine in that kind of conflict situation. Yet when Paul came to faith in Jesus, when he had this encounter, he had to accept Jesus' teaching on the universal sinfulness of all humans and God's offer to forgive anyone with the faith to believe in his mercy. And so Paul wrote a letter to some Christians in Rome, treating both those who had converted from Judaism to Christianity and those who were Gentile converts as equals. His reasoning being this, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Later in the same letter to Christians in Rome, Paul urges all of those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, to follow Jesus' example, saying, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. You see, Paul came to believe what Jesus taught, namely that the universal desire to make people suffer for the sins that they have committed against us is not only hypocritical, because we all sin and we all mess up, but it doesn't lead to any good or pleasing outcomes. In fact, it makes us worse. It ends up costing the victim more pain as it churns away within them. Universal guilt and hypocritical judgment are a pattern that we see over and over again in this world that lead to conflict, increasing pain in people's lives as people seek revenge. And then the person who's just had revenge meted out upon them seeks revenge again. And it just carries on and carries on and there seems to be no end. But forgiveness, on the other hand, breaks that cycle. It breaks the cycle of pain as old wounds are no longer opened up again and again. But let's not be under any illusions. Forgiveness is hard, right? It's hard. You know, Paul, in this great illustration, points to Jesus, the one who gave up his life on a cross, who sacrificed himself. He points to him as the model of forgiveness. And then he calls all of those who would follow him to a life of sacrifice, to be living sacrifices, just like Jesus, so that they could transform their thinking from vengeance to pursuing peace. That's a tough ask. It's difficult to do. So how and why does Paul suggest we do this? Well, between verses 17 and 21 of Romans chapter 12, Paul kind of spells it out for us. And I want to share what he says about forgiveness in these verses so that if any of you here are battling with forgiveness and trying to offer it but finding it hard, you can find freedom from some of the pain that might be going on from your past. So the first thing I'm struck by in these verses is Paul's repetition of the danger of trying to repay someone an eye for an eye. He says, do not repay someone 
evil for evil. And then in verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, the motive for choosing forgiveness instead of revenge is that revenge overcomes the innocence within the victim. It makes the victim a perpetrator as well. It takes away that within us that makes us innocent. Because we, just like the person who hurt us, are now meeting out punishment on someone to hurt them back. And that stirs up something within us. Evil begins to overcome us and begins to transform us into the person who's hurt us, really, into that kind of a person. And Paul is saying, be careful that you are not overcome by this need for an eye for an eye. When evil is done to you, do not do evil back to someone. That's what makes you a hypocrite. And that's probably the biggest problem that people have with Christianity in the world, right? Is when we say to people, you know, this is how you should act, but we don't act that way ourselves. Because everybody messes up sometimes. And sometimes it would do us good to actually acknowledge that and admit that and, and actually humble ourselves. Maybe in that process, we might be able to learn something about forgiveness. Instead of doing that, Paul says the only way to overcome evil is instead to do good, such as being careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, and as far as it depends on you, to live at peace with everyone. You know what I love about these verses is how realistic they are? As far as it depends on you. You see, the thing is, you can't control other people's decisions and actions. You can't always be at peace with some people. Some people do not want peace. Sometimes conflict is inevitable. But what Paul is saying is that what you can control is your own response, your own decisions, your own desires for either revenge or for peace. And you can choose to the best of your ability, as far as it depends on you, to pursue peace instead of conflict. That's your role. If it breaks down because of somebody else's choices and somebody else's actions, that's a different story. But you still have a part to play in trying to bring about peace. So how do you respond when conflict comes? Well, that's up to you. And responding with forgiveness has the power to build your reputation in the eyes of other people and to bring peace with your enemies. I mean, it's really hard to keep, you know, picking on someone when they're not fighting back. It makes you look like kind of a jerk, doesn't it? Have you ever seen one of those situations where someone's trying to pick a fight and somebody's just not fighting back? And after a while, the crowd's like... What is wrong with you? Just leave them alone. There's something wrong with you. If you are not fighting back, it demonstrates so clearly that the other person is in the wrong. And again, I clarify, we're not just talking about self-defense situations because sometimes it is right to fight back and that's okay. I'm looking at Master Bontes, my Taekwondo instructor. I'm really glad he's here and I'm glad I'm clarifying what I'm meaning. But we're talking about those moments where somebody does something to hurt us, probably emotionally most of the time. And that instant desire within us to fight back, to do something, to cause pain. But actually, that doesn't usually lead to peace. You see, when we try and position ourselves as the good guy in the story, but then we seek revenge, we kind of defeat our own efforts. Because it's obvious to everyone around us that we don't have the self-control required to not become the bad guy. And it just defeats everything we're trying to do. 
But when we turn the other cheek, like Jesus demonstrated and taught his disciples to do, we shame the aggressor in the eyes of the community that is watching and in the eyes of God. And that brings me to Paul's next argument, probably one of the most important parts of the act of forgiveness, where we get to trust God for what happens next. Paul says, leave vengeance in the hands of the one who's wild enough, wild enough, wise enough to wield it. This is what he says. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Why would you do this? Why would you do this countercultural strange thing for a perpetrator who doesn't deserve it? Well, because that's how you overcome evil with good. It's really hard to be angry with someone who's really nice to you all the time. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever had a fight with someone and it's a one-way fight and they just keep being nice to you? After a while, you just start feeling really awkward. It's hard to be angry with them. And if you're that person that shows incredible kindness in the face of somebody's kind of wrath towards you, don't be surprised if that wrath starts to diminish and lessen and then you suddenly find you can have peace with that person. That's why Paul says this needs to happen. We need to trust God when injustice is taking place because God sees injustice and he's wise enough to do something about it. Paul says in doing this, in acting in a peaceable way, in forgiving people as far as it depends on you, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I just want to clarify, he's not saying the motive for forgiveness is that somebody has coals burned upon their head, because that's kind of sinister, isn't it? What he's saying is that if they are faced with your kindness and they keep rejecting it and they don't repent of that, if they have no contrition about the way that they treat you, then they will face judgment because they have revealed themselves to be a doer of evil essentially, and a perpetuator of that. So let's just recap. That's a lot of information from Jesus and Paul, but let's just recap. Here are some simple motives for forgiveness. Forgiveness brings a lasting peace that revenge never can. Forgiveness builds your reputation in the eyes of others because there's something just incredible about witnessing someone who has the power to forgive and has that self-control over their character. It builds up your reputation. Thirdly, forgiveness demonstrates faith in God's justice and mercy through Jesus. And finally, forgiveness ensures you are not corrupted by the evil that has been done to you. By just basically doing it back. Now, this is not a theoretical subject. As I look out on a room of people, I know that there are some people here who have been hurt by others. And it's hard to forgive and I just want to acknowledge that today. I just want to say all of us find it really hard to forgive people when they do things that are wrong to us. And I'm not saying this to you as one who has all the answers, but I believe Jesus does. I believe in his own mysterious way, God has the ability to help us to find freedom from that pain. And it's not simple. It's a series of choices that you make not once to forgive someone, but probably every day. The bigger the hurt, the longer it might take for you to keep choosing to forgive someone. That's okay. It doesn't have to be a one-time event. 
It can be something that you process every day and decide not to hold against that person until finally you feel like you're released from that as God begins to set you free. The most important thing for us to remember is that the battle that we're fighting quite often isn't against the person. It's against what's going on inside us and the pain that follows us around. And we need to fight the battle that isn't the one our instinct tells us to wage, the battle for revenge. We need to fight the battle to be the bigger person, to be the one who's willing to forgive and let go of that pain. The battle you must fight isn't with the person who hurts you. The battle is the one raging within you right now. The struggle is in your heart and in your choices. But when, you, when it gets hard, just remember you're not alone. Remember the one who went before you, the one that Paul pointed at, Jesus. The one who also found it hard and in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane was really worried about what he would have to face because of the sins of other people. But he still made that choice to consciously sacrifice himself, to offer himself as a living sacrifice. And because of that, millions of people have found freedom and peace, forgiveness offered to them by God, that they might be reconciled with their heavenly father. That kind of peace is costly and difficult, but it's the kind of peace that can only come about through forgiveness. So maybe you have somebody that you need to forgive. Maybe today is the beginning of that journey for you. If that's you, I want to pray for you today. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, it is difficult to live in a world as unfair as ours. And when we are the victim of injustice, it can be so tempting to want to get our own back. To think after the event what we should have done and how we can get our own back. But Lord, you know better than that because that isn't good for us. It just reopens that wounds and stirs within us an anger and a bitterness and a hatred that can overcome us with evil. And so I ask for anyone here who has struggled for years with some hurt or some pain deeply rooted that someone has caused them, that you might help them today to look to Jesus, to understand the wisdom of what he's saying about how we can find peace from that baggage and to choose to forgive starting today. I pray that you might move in hearts and souls today to, to bring peace and freedom from the pain and the bondage of the past. And I pray that you would surround each and every person who is hurting with a bunch of people who will support them and love them and encourage them. And I pray that we as a church might be like that, might be a place where it is safe to come with all of your baggage, even when you haven't got it all worked out, even if you don't know how to forgive someone yet, that there'll be people here to support you through that process. I just pray your blessing upon all of the people in this room for whom this message may be hard and difficult to receive and yet might be the real key to finding some freedom and peace in their life. I pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.